Members, so uh, apologies have been received from Colin McGrath, Kelly Armstrong and uh, Jonathan Buckley. Have members, uh, any other members aware of any other apologies? Melissa McHugh. Melissa McHugh, thank you. And if no others, we're, we're going to move on to the next item of business. Uh, so, declaration of members' interests. Members, you're obliged to declare any relevant financial or other interests before and during each committee meeting. So, does any member have any interest to declare? Take that as a no. Okay, thank you. And moving on to three, which is the draft minutes of the meeting held on the 12th of May 2021. Members refer you to the draft minutes of the meeting held on the 12th of May 2021 at pages 6 to 12 of the meeting pack. Members, are you content with the minutes? Thank you. Uh, and then moving on to item four, which is matters arising. Members, matters arising are covered elsewhere in the agenda. So we're going to move on to the next item of business, which is um, number five, and that's the report on the review of opposition entitlements and a briefing by Mr. Trevor Rainey. Um, could I seek agreement uh, from you that the briefing from Trevor Rainey is recorded by Hansard, as this will form part of the evidence base for the committee's report to the Assembly? Thank you. And I want to also refer um, members to the Secretariat briefing at 5.1, which is pages 15 to 21, which is provided um, for background information and advise members that the suggested next steps outlined on page 16 of the pack will be discussed after Mr Rooney's briefing. I uh, want to refer members to Trevor Rooney's PowerPoint slides at 5.2, which is pages 22 to 36, and the report at 5.3, which is pages 37 to 119 of the pack. And I want to welcome Mr Trevor Rooney to the meeting and ask him to speak to this report. I just wanted to um, say at this stage, members, that um, Kelly Armstrong, who was unable to be here at today's meeting, had asked if it would be possible for the Lands Party to make a written comment on uh, Mr Rennie's report. So I wanted to ask the members if they're content to provide this opportunity to Alliance as well as all the other Assembly parties and the independent members, and that they would also be given a deadline of the 24th of September for response. So it's just to check that everybody's okay with that. It just it means that there's maybe less of a panic um, around um, asking all of the questions today if, if you think you have more time to consider it. So just want to make you aware of that. So we're happy enough with that, yes. Why the date of the 24th of September? Sure. Um, that aligns with the proposed date for the responses from the Assembly Commission and the Procedures Committee, which would align with the committee's timetable for reporting to the Assembly in October. Okay, thanks. Okay, so happy enough. Thank you, members. Okay, Trevor, very good to have you here today on this lovely sunny day. I'm going to let you loose on your report. You're, we're all very familiar with you, so we don't, won't have to make any introductions. Indeed, um, you'll be Chair. familiar with us. So, thank you. Great. Thank you very much, Chair, and thank you for the opportunity to be involved in this review. And it has been a pleasure to renew acquaintances over the last uh, number of weeks. Um, could I just put on record at this stage my appreciation? for the uh, involvement of those who are consultees, the uh, folk who I've worked with on benchmarking and the academics, and also the support of the Assembly Secretariat staff as and when I was looking for information. So I just want to put that uh, on record. 
Chair, I understand your time is limited and you're, you're up against uh, deadlines for this meeting, so I will press on and perhaps skim through parts of this uh, presentation. But briefly, the, if I could move to the next slide, Zoe. Thank you. I intended just to give an overview of the report and then focus on the findings and conclusions and then uh, particularly on the recommendations. Uh, I will, Chair, just very briefly touch on the overview of the report. Uh, Zoe, if you could move to the next slide. And members will have seen the structure of the report and have had the opportunity uh, to read it. The only comment I would make at this stage because of our time pressures is around the research element of the report. And just to highlight that as I uh, explored with academics and others research around the entitlements for official opposition, as opposed just to the theory of opposition, uh, there was very limited, in fact, no specific research on the entitlements, their effectiveness uh, or otherwise. So that is something which I've commented on observations that the Assembly may wish to encourage some research in that area for the future. I did focus uh, benchmarking on the UK and Ireland. That's not to say that it didn't look internationally, but the application of international models becomes more difficult in understanding the unique circumstances in differing countries throughout the world. I did look at the procedural and the financial elements particularly, and there are very common procedural elements which are consistent across many parliaments in terms of the work of opposition. And there was reference in three of the four comparators that uh, had recognition of political or technical groups, and I've commented on that later. The financial comparisons and benchmarking is always difficult to do because you're attempting to compare apples and pears, and the systems and the structures of those systems are very considerably different. But I have attempted in the table on page 28 of the report to uh, explore a comparison using a model of a 10-member uh, opposition and tried to, with some estimates and some assumptions, provide a broad comparison. If I could make one small apology to the committee, the figures for the Assembly in the two boxes are slightly understated by £500 and £630. There are two elements to the WIPS alliance and those tables omitted the second of the two, which is a very small addition of £500 and £630. Perhaps I could move on to the next slide. And this is really focusing on the uh, findings and conclusions of the report. And overall, I think, Chair, I've looked at this in two uh, ways. Firstly, the procedural elements, and secondly, the financial elements. And in my view, taking together the current procedural elements of the Statement of Entitlements, along with full implementation of the 2016 Act, in my view, provide, provide a sound basis for the uh, work of an official opposition. However, I have made two recommendations just to enhance that, one in relation to oral questions and the second in relation to statutory committees. It's clear from the comparisons here in relation to finance that the uh, resource entitlements here at the Assembly are significantly lower than in many other places, and I have made recommendations for their enhancement. Additionally to that, I've made recommendations around political and technical groups and around access to information, which was an issue raised quite uh, significantly during 
the consultation uh, process. Could I refer, Chair, to the issue of salaries for uh, leaders of the opposition or whips or of that uh, nature? They, those payments do not appear in very many other uh, institutions, and it was not raised with me during the consultation process. So I have not commented on that, and I would just uh, suppose make the point that that will be the responsibility of the Independent Financial Review Panel, which is responsible for salaries of members, and that might be a matter they look at uh, when they are reconstituted at some point in the future. So perhaps I could move to the recommendations, and again, Chair, conscious of time, uh, I will skim through these relatively quickly. If we could move on to the next slide, please. And I will pause on one or two and uh, uh, perhaps say a little bit more about uh, one or two of them. The first recommendation, Chair, that I make is that uh, we adopt, the Assembly adopt, uh, a principle around all of this work, which is simply that the resources, profile and status provided to official opposition should not of itself be an incentive or a deterrent for any party considering or opting for official opposition. So therefore, on the one hand, they're not so generous as to be attractive to influence thinking, or similarly, not so uh, limited that they discourage uh, the opting for an opposition. The second general point I make is that it would be important to clearly codify the arrangements and the statement of entitlements however that is produced in the future, whether through standing orders, which would be the primary focus, uh, or other arrangements, but certainly having it codified to avoid misinterpretation or dispute in their implementation. Third recommendation I make is in relation to review. I have looked at the uh, operation of the uh, official opposition back in 2016, early 2017, and that period of time is really too limited to draw any meaningful conclusions, but I think it would be useful to look at it again after a substantive period of operation, and I'm suggesting perhaps uh, two years. Can I move to the next slide, please? Again, recommendation four deals with the uh, operating procedures as I've described them uh, for an official opposition if it comprises more than one party. And I think it's important for the operation of the Assembly that they're operating procedures, how they determine speaking rights, how they communicate with the business office, speaker's office and so on, are put in writing and clearly understood at the commencement of uh, a mandate when official opposition is chosen and more than one party is involved. Recommendation five deals with timing and it would be my recommendation that all of the recommendations that are adopted by the Assembly ultimately would be put in place uh, in a timely manner and ideally before the end uh, of the Assembly mandate. Uh, there is obviously around the issue of technical groups a little bit of further work that needs to be done which might uh, delay that a little bit on that regard but I think generally to move forward to implementation of the relevant standing orders by the end of the mandate. Could I move to the next slide and here I'm focusing Chair on the procedural recommendations and uh, recommendation six deals with speaking rights that are currently contained within the statement of entitlements and each of these are in question time, executive business, statements, matters of the day and opposition titles, entitlements I think are reasonable and should continue. 
I just make one passing comment on matters of the day. They are designed not to be issues around government business. Therefore, there could be an argument that the official opposition is not scrutinising government at that point in time. But I didn't think it significant enough to make any recommendation around that. I make an additional uh, recommendation at number seven, that the questioning of the executive, uh, where we have an existing entitlement under the statements of entitlement, and I'm suggesting or recommending that the official opposition should have the first question to all ministers uh, in uh, the tabled question time. We move to the next slide. Recommendation eight, I address the outstanding uh, standing orders from uh, the 2016 Act, as I describe it. And I feel that each of these are appropriate to proceed with. And uh, I note that uh, Standing Order 45, 45A has already been amended. But that looking at all of those, the Procedures Committee, in my view, should take those forward and that together with the other comments I've made around Statement of Entitlements, that would pr produce a sound basis for an official opposition. Can we move to the next slide? And Recommendation 9 deals with speaking rights, and there is within the current Statement of Entitlements reference to apportioning speaking rights if more than one party is involved, and I think that is sensible and that that should be formalised and linked back to what I was recommending on operating procedures in Recommendation 4. Could I move to the next slide? Recommendation 10 deals with statutory committees, and this is perhaps, uh, Chair, something that may only happen very occasionally or in limited circumstances where uh, an opposition is of a smaller number than the number of statutory committees. Uh, that might well be the case. Uh, or it may be the case in the future, the number of statutory committees may increase. But I think the principle is there that an official opposition should have a representative on each statutory committee to enable it to properly scrutinise uh, government. Recommendation 11 deals with political or technical groups. And I note in my research and benchmarking that three of the four other parliaments that I looked at in detail have some degree of recognition for technical groups or political groups and how they deal with uh, procedural matters uh, within the work of their parliaments. And from that point of view, uh, Chair, I would uh, suggest that requires further consideration to explore the value of that within the Northern Ireland Assembly situation. Could I move to the next slide, please? And Chair, I now move on to the financial uh, recommendations. And recommendation 12 deals with resources and my view that a significant increase in resources should be provided uh, to support the effectiveness of the official opposition. And I've used within my uh, report the model of a 10-member opposition. Other numbers could have been chosen, but that seemed to have been a reasonable uh, figure to work with for comparison purposes. And I'm uh, recommending that there should be an addition of £100,000 per annum to a party of 10 in official opposition over and above the general level of FAP funding. Uh, and that, uh, that obviously would vary if there were a smaller or larger number of seats in uh, that regard. It's very difficult in doing comparisons, uh, Chair, to get, uh, if you like, a, a realistic comparison with other institutions. But suffice it to say that in the Scottish Parliament, the differential between 
party in government, party in opposition, is around about 69, 70,000 pounds. In the Welsh Parliament, it's about 90 odd thousand pounds. So 100,000 pounds is sitting you know, at the upper end of that, but in my view, reasonably uh, so. Recommendation 13 uh, deals with the FAP scheme itself, and some of these comments would apply to all of the FAP scheme, including parties and government, but I think it's, it's important that the principles apply across all. And it had been part of the uh, statement of entitlements originally that the additional funding would be cost-neutral. So in other words, if there was an official opposition, it would receive extra funding at the expense of the other parties. And I'm recommending that that principle cease, that additional funding is made, and that no reduction is made in the funding of other parties if an official opposition is in place. We move to the next slide. Uh, recommendation uh, 14 deals with the conditions and the guidance associated with FAP uh, scheme funding. And this again applies across opposition parties and uh, government parties and others as well. Uh, my recommendation is that the detail around that be enhanced. Uh, the scheme under the determination, for example, has many conditions relating to it to ensure transparency, openness, probity and so on. And I think that uh, it would be wise for the Commission, when it considers this, to explore such conditions and indeed to include a, a cap on the maximum salary. I think it's still important that leaders of the opposition parties have the discretion to appoint the nature and level of staff that they feel appropriate to support their work. However, I think that should have some limit in relation to a cap. Uh, number 15, recommendation 15, deals with the, this was the uh, simplicity or complexity of the FAP scheme. And I'm recommending that a single stream of funding, which incorporates the WIPs allowance and covers any funding uh, relating to the office of the Leader of the Opposition, should be provided in one streamlined uh, set of funding. And that, for example, Chair would follow the model in Scotland, where there's just a simple and single line of funding. Can we move to the next slide, please? Recommendation 16, Chair, deals with, I suppose, inflation and the passage of time. And there has been no increase in the figures under the FAP scheme since 2016. Uh, and I'm recommending that the Commission, when they look at this, take account of that when they review uh, the scheme in due course. And you would see possibly an uplift of 10% plus uh, to cover CPI or that type of increase. The, the downside of that has been, Chair, obviously, that it impacts on the ability to pay staff, and this is the primary use of FAP funding, and obviously that has issues of fairness around the individuals who may be employed by parties that would be, I think, un unreasonable. And then related to that, recommendation 17 is about uh, ensuring that there is an annual cost of living increase built into a revised FAP scheme so that it doesn't slip behind uh, further and further. And finally, at recommendation 18, uh, Chair, uh, one of the issues which was raised consistently in our uh, consultation I held uh, was this issue of access to information. Indeed, it's a problem, if I can describe it in that way, across all parliaments. Uh, the opposition or the parliament and its committees receiving information from ministers and departments to enable them to effectively scrutinise the work of uh, the executive for the government. And I think a more robust approach should be explored in relation to this. 
for example, I've quoted a cabinet office uh, model of a protocol, which I think has some value. I'm conscious of changes legislation recently in terms of uh, providing information to committees. Uh, so in and around all of that, Chair, I think there is something where uh, it would be worth exploring how the access to information could be more robustly provided for in the framework of governance and the work of the Assembly and the opposition as part of that in total. Chair, I'm conscious that's a, a very quick rattle through. Uh, I could have spent significantly longer covering the ground and relating to some of the research and some of the interesting facts and figures which have arisen during my report. But I'll conclude there and uh, take any questions, Chair. Thank you very much, Trevor. Much appreciated. I have a couple of questions. Um, Alex has uh, indicated he wants to ask a question, and I'll, I'll take any other questions from the room as well um, as they arise. Um, you'd indicated that um, AERC can take forward recommendations 3 and 18 as part of its forward work programme. Um, in terms of recommendation 18 on, on providing an official opposition with adequate access to information from ministers and departments, what would you see as the most effective means to achieving this aim? And are there any comparators to draw upon? Yeah. Well, Chair, I've quoted in the report a couple of uh, issues there which I think provide a useful starting point. And there is a Cabinet Office protocol uh, which I've quoted that might merit consideration as to whether with the executive that a protocol could be agreed. I'm conscious that uh, protocols can be flexible in their interpretation and application, uh, and, okay. uh, and therefore, <laughs> and therefore uh, it, it may not be the answer, but I think that is worth exploring and spending more time on. And indeed, the recent legislation which has been passed here in relation to providing uh, information to committees of the Assembly provides a model uh, as well. So I think uh, there is no ready answer to that, but I think there are examples there that could be explored more by the committee and more uh, contact on that specific issue with other parliaments to see how that could be enhanced. But certainly ensuring that a committee of the Assembly, ensuring that its members, and in this case the official opposition, have the information they need to scrutinise and receiving that on a timely basis is important for effective scrutiny. Okay, thank you. And in regards to recommendation 11 on creating political or technical groups mm -hmm. which could potentially meet the criteria for recognition as part of the official opposition, how would you see that working in practice? I think, Chair, it is problematic, I can say that, because you have so many diverse, potentially so many diverse voices within that. However, when I see three of the four comparator parliaments having arrangements that recognise either, as a Doyle does, technical groups or in Scotland and Wales, political groups. I think there is there some value in exploring that further because that gives to those who are outside an official opposition uh, the potential to have a greater uh, opportunity to contribute, to challenge, to scrutinise government. And I think that is worthy of exploration. I don't underestimate the difficulties if you have uh, three or four differing parties with uh, differing, very differing political uh, perspectives, how that would work in practice. So I have made a recommendation to explore it further rather than recommending that it be done. Because I think there's value in it, but it needs some further uh, work specifically on that. Okay, that's great. And the final one for me is in relation to the financial implications of recommendations. 
do any of these fall within the remit of the Independent Financial Review Panel or its or its its successor body, or um, are they all within the remit of the Assembly Commission? Yes, Chair, as I mentioned, they are all within the remit of the uh, Assembly uh, Commission. I think if the Independent Financial Review Panel at some point in the future looked at this and decided to make any changes to the salary structure for members or office holders, that's a separate issue and I have not addressed that. And again, just to, to emphasise, the issue was not raised with me anywhere during the consultation with the party. Okay, that's lovely. Thank you. Um, Alex? Thank you, Trevor, for your presentation on the report. Um, okay, a couple of questions for you. I'm a bit not quite sure about the opposition bit at the moment, so hopefully you can maybe clarify that a wee bit. Can if if the opposition ha is is set up, can you have more than two parties in it, or I mean, could you theoretically? We'll use an example. Could the Ulster Unionists be the, the opposition on themselves, or do you have to have the SDLP as well? Or could you theoretically have three plus even independents? So that's my first question. My second question is political parties that don't maybe want to be in the opposition or in the government, can they sit outside of that all as well? Is my, my second question. And my third question is, you mentioned about the £100,000 to run this opposition. Um, so if there were, say, three parties in that, is that £100,000 for those three parties to use jointly together for the opposition? Or does it get divided up in some sort of way? How, how would that all work, if that's OK to ask? Thank you. Yeah, <clears throat> thank you, uh, Chair. The Dealing with the first two, I suppose the composition of the official opposition is already referenced in uh, the 2016 Act and in the current statement of entitlements. And there can be more than one party within the official opposition. And that's why there are recommendations about operating procedures, because if there are more than one party, and that could be one, two, or three, uh, the, the issue of how they work together, how they apportion speaking rights, how they use the opportunities they have on committees, for example, and so on. They would have to develop some procedures around that. So yes, it can be more than one party. Uh, the second element of your question is around the funding, and it will be my recommendation that the funding is for the party themselves. So you would have, theoretically, you could have two parties of ten, which we get 100,000 each, or you could have one opposition party of 20, which gets 200,000. So it's a pro rata issue between those two. But yes, if there's two parties, they would get whatever the number of seats they have, that ratio pro, pro rata to 100,000 for 10. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Jim? Yeah, I want to ask you some things about uh, technical groups. Mm. I had the experience of being a member of a technical group in the European Parliament, mm. and it worked surprisingly smoothly, uh, <laughs> despite the very diverse composition. But so as I understand it, your vision is that a technical group which draws together disparate independents mm. and small parties, if they so wished, mm -hmm. then is recognised as such. Mm -hmm. 
and could itself, if there were no, no others, provided they passed the threshold in the 2016 registration, could themselves actually be the opposition mm -hmm. or could be a component part with others of the opposition? Is that correct? That, that would be my view, yes. I mean, uh, the purpose of, of that recommendation, say, drawing on the examples in the three other mm. institutions, is that that provides an additional element to strengthen the work of the parliament in mm. scrutinising government. Now, I have no doubt the government will see it differently uh, in mm. terms of another voice resourced and strengthened to scrutinise. But I think that adds to the value of the work of the parliamentary institution. And I think that, I say, subject to the challenges that I've mentioned, uh, is worth exploring further. And of course, it's still a very uneven playing field mm. in mm. terms of the vast resources of government versus the mm. modest resources of opposition. Yeah. Uh, so it's never going to be an equal bout, as it were, in financial terms. No, and I don't think it ever will, and no. it isn't in any no. other no, except that. Except that. Uh, but as things presently stand, it's both, under the present arrangement, it's both toothless and um, unfunded, essentially. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the official opposition under the current FAP scheme has a very small element of funding, yeah. which you know, wouldn't employ a full-time member of exactly. staff on its own. So as a significant enhancement, in my judgment, and from what I've looked at in other places, is, is merited in this situation. Yeah. And on the point about uh, delivery of information, mm. you made reference to the, ch the change made for statutory committees in the, fu in mm. the function of government yeah. miscellaneous provision bill. Yeah. There could be a similar statutory obligation placed on government in respect of opposition, couldn't there? Yes, and that's why in the recommendation I've, I've suggested looking at protocols, standing yeah. orders and legislation as ways in which to strengthen, to have a more robust arrangement. Yeah. And uh, I don't need to go into the, the, the no. issues around the supply of information and the yeah. difficulties that creates for the Parliament and for its members and for committees in opposition. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Just let's go back and some of just so as I can understand it, because Alex was asking at one stage, <coughs> can you be um, outside both the opposition and that, and then Jim was talking about technical groups. So I'm trying to understand this sort of, if, just deal with the finance first. Are you working out on the basis that you know, if you were not in the government parties, mm -hmm. then there would be ten thousand? available to you as an independent or does it have to be a technical group which is set up at a, and and what says does that technical group have to be yeah or if it's the opposition again are you talking about and I may have picked this up wrong but are you talking about a series of oppositions essentially and uh, so it doesn't matter yeah. or maybe it does matter it does or it doesn't matter I mean that if they pull together that yeah. uh, there has to be a certain if you like threshold that they go beyond, which brings them beyond a technical group or beyond uh, an individual impairment. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's just that type of structure. Could you explain that a bit more? In terms of the, the official opposition, there, there are two ways that it can be recognised. Firstly, it is declining a ministerial seat. And the second, under the 2016 Act, is having 8% of the members of the Assembly 
Uh, and I think those are reasonable thresholds to, to have, uh, and that the 2016 Act 8% issue should be in, uh, put into standing order so it's there clearly to action. So a group would have to cross that threshold. So 8% is seven point something seats, let's say eight seats. So there would have to be eight seats of very small parties, the independents coming together into a group of eight or more members. They would have to develop their operating procedures. They would have to demonstrate a coherence to be recognised and to operate. Could that grouping then operate with one or two other parties in official opposition under the current arrangements? And I, I see no reason to change them. The answer is yes. But again, they would have to have their procedures as to how they worked together. Uh, individual independent members or a small party outside the official opposition would not qualify for any funding, uh, which is my recommendation. They would have to get above the threshold to be qualified. So the official um, opposition needs to be agreed by those parties and demonstrate? Yes, yeah. And then outside of that, if there were others, then they simply operate as... They would continue as currently, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Well, if there are no other uh, questions, I want to thank you. Uh, no, thank you very for, much. For your report and for your time today. Very, very pleasant to see actual people in person, bodily, in front of us around a table. So, Well, I'm delighted to be able to be here in person and to see, albeit in a quieter building, it's a pleasure to be here and meet you face to face. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very members. much. Thank you. Okay, members, I just want to ask at this point if you have any views on the report at this stage. Obviously, there, there, there is going to be another opportunity then to come back as individuals or as parties um, on the report. But just if you want to put on record any views at this point, you're more than welcome to. I think it's aggressively comprehensive and throws up a number of interesting propositions, which I trust will be advanced. Thank you. Thank you. No other members at this point? Okay, that's grand. Okay, so um, could I ask you members if you're content then to forward Mr Rennie's report to both the Assembly Commission and Procedures Committee seeking written responses on the financial and procedural implications of the review recommendations as applicable. And to ask the members if you are content to request that the responses are provided by Friday the 24th of September 2021 to enable the AERC to prepare and make its report to the Assembly in October 2021 in accordance with the review timetable. Okay, I just ask a question, sorry, Chair. Sure. Um, did you mention to um, the Commission and to all members? Did I pick that up wrong? Who, who's the good thing? Yes, Chair, so the, the review terms of reference requires the Committee to consult both the Assembly Commission and the Procedures Committee. Um, but in light of the Chair's earlier proposal that was agreed, it would also go out to all the Assembly parties and independent and members individuals. with okay. the same response date of the 24th of September. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. okay. So we're happy enough then with those actions. Yeah. Um, and are you content that AERC offers both the Procedures Committee and the Assembly Commission the option of an oral briefing from Mr Rainey on his report in order to facilitate and expedite their responses? Okay. okay thank you. Um, 
Okay, so uh, you should, members need to note that if the offer is accepted, it will be subject to making appropriate uh, further contracting arrangement with Mr Rainey, as explained in paragraph 6B of the Secretariat paper on page 16 of the pack. So are members content that the committee proceeds on that basis? Yes. Okay. 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 okay, so the committee is content to offer oral briefings from Mr Rainey to the Assembly Commission and Procedures Committee. Uh, I just advise members that the confirmation has been received at official level that the Commission will be able to respond by the 24th September deadline and the Procedures Committee will schedule a briefing from Mr Rainey at its last meeting before recess on the 30th of June. Okay, so members, are you content that the AERC works to its timetable of reporting to the Assembly on the outcome of the review in October 2021 and the Committee Secretariat schedules the necessary meetings accordingly? And members, uh, I want to ask you if you wish to publish Mr Rooney's report on the committee website in the meantime, uh, with any necessary redactions being made to the to personal data around phone numbers and signatures, etc. See why not? Hmm? I'm just thinking about it. Um, it probably has no issue. It's just, is there an issue around not going out at the same time as going to procedures and uh, the commission? It's going to be going out to all the assembly parties mm. as well. So. Okay. Point yeah, it's right there. <laughs> okay. Grant, great then. Thank you. Um, are you content that Mr. Rooney has delivered upon the existing contractual requirements as set out in the committee specification for the review? Yep. Thank you. And are you content for the chairperson to write to both Trevor Rooney on, on behalf of the committee to thank him for his report and work to date? and to Sir David Nasler, I hope I've pronounced that right, former clerk to the House of Commons, to thank him for the assistance which he provided to Mr Rainey. Thank you. Okay, so that takes us on to the next item of business. Chair, have I go to question time or have you still got a quorum? Uh, we won't have, but I think we can cope. That, that was the main actions that we needed to get approval for from the member. So the we can cope if we do lose the quorum. I think we can still take um, uh, information from from Marie at this stage, and we can follow up via email on any other actions that need approval. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks for your time, Jim. Okay, so item six is the additional review topics and the follow-up actions. So refer the members to pages 121 to 173 of the pack for the relevant papers. Uh, remind members that at the meeting on the 12th of May 2021, the AERC agreed its strategic priorities, additional to the ongoing priority of the review of opposition entitlements as follows, and that was the designations and appointment of the First Minister and Deputy First Minister, the Committee Effectiveness and Collaboration, and the Gender Diversity Imbalances in the Assembly and the Executive. So the action plan at Appendix A, pages 123 to 126, reflects the actions agreed under each priority at the AERC meeting on the 12th of May. It provides details of the progress made to uh, date and the proposed next steps. So I want at this stage then to invite the Senior Assistant Clerk, Marie Austin, to outline the action plan and the progress to date. Thanks, okay. Marie. 
problem. Um, I know everyone's under significant time pressures today, so I, I'm going to um, go through this briefly. But um, as the chair has said, the action plan at uh, one two three to one two six, the pack sets out everything that has taken place and suggests um, further action. So the committee had agreed to identify academics as potential expert witnesses for the designations and appointment priority. Um, I think eleven experts have been identified. Um, and it's really for the committee to decide whether it wants to request written evidence um, for some, from some or all of those experts um, identified. The idea being that once we get the written evidence for, from them, um, we'll then issue consultative questions to political parties and the Human Rights Commission, because we had a, uh, the committee had identified them as, as relevant stakeholders. Um, the committee had also requested a written submission from the Deborda Institute, and that's included in your pack. Um, the committee might want to note that for now and consider perhaps taking oral evidence at a later stage. In relation to the committee effectiveness and collaboration, uh, CLG is doing quite a bit of work on strengthening committee scrutiny. Um, it's got a full programme of work right up until... Uh, it reports in the autumn and it might be sensible to wait until um, CLG reports before we consider um, if, there's, if there are any gaps and if there was any work ARC could take forward. Uh, in relation to the gender and diversity imbalances uh, in the Assembly and the Executive, um, the Committee had commissioned an issues paper and draft questions to go to the Good Relations Group so that they could use those questions to try and gather evidence um, during consultation exercise that they were undertaking. So we will get a report from that and we can consider that, or the committee can consider that at a, a later date. So the committee had gone out to the Commission, the Women's Caucus, Committee on Procedures, etc., to, to try and get a picture of all the work that's been um, undertaken in relation to diversity and balances. Um, have received responses, so after this meeting we can create that and we should have the full picture. The, the ARC report on women in politics and the Assembly, uh, the 2015 report, there were recommendations made to the political parties. Now, the Commission has answered in, in our request for the information for the stock to take. They have gone through all the recommendations that were made for the Commission um, to undertake, so we'll have an update from them. But there was also recommendations for the political parties, so you might want to go out to the political parties, referencing the, the, the recommendations and asking what um, progress has been made to date. Um, I think that's everything for now, but happy to take questions if anybody has them. Okay, question, Jerry. Uh, um, I was just wondering, just in the last uh, thing about the 2015 report, on women in politics. Uh, first of all, I think it does no harm to go out and remind the parties. Mm -hmm. That's it. Most of them have forgotten. <laughs> and to see what uh, progress has has been made. I mean, I was, I'm also presuming we've no, there's no, because we don't have quorum now, there's no decisions to be made here. So this is just no. how to, to move forward, just really. After this, what I'll do is I um, send out an email with all the decisions that I would, that members might want to, to take, and you can agree them by correspondence. Yeah, well, I, th so I mean, we I think I think that one is, I think that one, the reason I'm coming on that one, I think that one's just straightforward. I mean, mm -hmm. who's mm -hmm. going to disagree to it? It's mm -hmm. already been out. It's just sent it out again, you know. Yeah. But I think it, I think it is important to send it out again. 
and I, I'll probably read those um, suggested actions into the record anyway, yeah. and then and then they could be followed up and actually done officially then by mm-hmm. email. Yeah. Since we don't have a quorum, Alex, you're looking in. Alex, were you looking in for a question? No, I'm okay, thanks. Okay, that's grand. Your hands up from before, I think, just that's grand. So, if there, if there are no other um, questions, thank you, Marie, for that update. And I'm just going to kind of read into the record uh, what the actions would have been if should we had a, a quorum. And that would have been to ask the members if they were content to note the progress made under uh, each strategic priority. Uh, and in relation to the uh, designations of appointment of First Minister and Deputy First Minister, to ask members if they're content to note the written submission from the Deborda Institute at this stage, and to ask members if they're content to invite written evidence from the experts identified. Um, and if, if that was only to be some of those, and to ask the members which experts they would want. And in relation to the committee effectiveness and collaboration, to ask the members if they're content to await the chairperson's liaison group report on strengthening committee scrutiny, which is due in early autumn before progressing the matter further. And in, re- in relation to gender and diversity imbalances in the assembly and executive, I was asked the members if they were content to note the issues paper in respect of BAME communities and persons with a disability and good relations action plan and ask members if they are content to note the responses received as part of the committee's stock take. The information will be collated following this meeting and ask the members if they wish to request a progress report for each of the political from each of the political parties in the Assembly in respect of the recommendations contained in the AERC report on women in politics and Northern Ireland Assembly. So that covers that, Jerry. So um, we'll, we'll leave that with the, with the um, clerk and staff to actually contact the members to get approval for those actions. Uh, so at this point, then, we're going to move on to the next item of business, which is seven correspondence. Uh, correspondence from the Committee of Standards and Privileges on the new complaints investigation procedures, the General Procedures Direction 2021. I refer members to 7.1, which is page 175 of the pack, advise members that the new procedures can be found on the web page of the Committee uh, of Standards and Privileges. And item 7.2, correspondence from uh, the Clerking and Member member Support uh, on social media. Training, uh, referring members to 7.2 of the pack and advise members that whilst the time frame has passed for all the training sessions, if members wish to request additional sessions of the training, they should contact the CAMS office. For that. And then 7.3, we have the Assembly Research Paper on Gender Budgeting and Gender Inequalities in Northern Irish uh, Education Policy. I refer you to 7.3 of the pack and ask members to note that research paper. Okay, uh, so moving on to the next item of business, which is uh, chairperson's business in relation to committee input on freedom of information matters during the summer recess. Um, just inform members that it is normal practice for the committees to delegate authority to the chairperson and deputy chairperson during periods of recess to submit views on releasing or withholding of information of any non-routine or contentious FOI request received. In previous mandates at the final meeting of each session, the committee agreed to this delegation of authority and 
that the committee would be advised of any such requests, the views expressed by the chairperson and or deputy chairperson, and the response issued by the FOI unit at the first available meeting following the recess period. So it was asked if the members were content that we continue with this practice, but I presume we'll have to ask that in the, in the email as well, uh, since we don't have a quorum. Okay, so that takes us on to any other business. Uh, are there any other business? I don't see any indication of them, Starry. Do I? No. Thank you, Alex. Okay, that's great. Uh, so with that, then, it takes us on to item 10, which is the date, time and place of next meeting. Um, as this is the last AERC meeting before the summer recess um, and the date for the next meeting of the committee after recess will be circulated in due course. So that's it. So thank you all. appreciate uh, you making the effort to attend at this uh, not so convenient time. Um, so thank you very much and we'll see you all again after recess. Thank you. So the meeting's adjourned. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This